Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. What's up, Path to Freedom listeners? Thank you so much for dropping into another episode. This is episode 119. Today, I'm joined by David Shuck. David is the managing partner of Spartan Fitness Holdings, um, which is a holding company for boutique fitness franchise concepts. And as David explains in this episode, they're also getting into another franchise brand within the what I would consider health and wellness category. Um, this is an episode I've really been looking forward to. I've you know had the pleasure of hearing David speak on some other podcasts and was able to get introduced to him and really excited to have him share his story here on the the podcast because I think you know for so many people when they think of franchise ownership they you know they think of a small you know business that the owner is you know highly involved in the day-to-day activities you know they think of think of some sort of a you know storefront business where the owners you know they're behind the counter you know, working the the cash register, checking clients in and out, whatever the case may be. And, you know, certainly that can be the case, but, you know, franchise ownership can also legitimately be a pathway to building an empire. And that's exactly what, you know, David is in the process of doing. So, you know, currently David shares with us that he is the largest franchise owner for Club Pilates, which is a you know, very reputable brand within the boutique fitness category. He has 60 locations open and operating as of the time we recorded this podcast with the plan to have 75 locations open and operating by the end of 2023. And, you know, he also shares a little bit of how he initially got into franchising with Liberty Tax, which is a franchise business that he still owns today, yet, you know, has little to no involvement in you know, the the actual operations of that business. Um, and he's managed to scale his Club Pilates business very, very quickly. So he shares some of his learnings in doing that and some of the strategies that he's leveraged to, you know, scale as quickly as he has. So you guys know how I like to nerd out on this stuff. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation for me. You know, David's a really down-to-earth guy, clearly you know, a very, very savvy business person. And uh, it was just a lot of fun to talk with him, learn from him. And I know anyone who listens is going to take home more than just one or two nuggets from this one. So without further ado, let's drop in with David Shuck. Thanks, Wes. Great to be here. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation. It's always good to talk shop. And uh, uh, before the show, it's it's fun to learn. We have a lot of, a lot of, common uh, connections back in North Carolina. So that's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. We figured out, we, we kind of grew up in, uh, in similar parts of North Carolina and um, you know, I don't know if this will come up in the rest of the conversation, but 
we were talking David played basketball at UNC Greensboro. So my family has some some ties to that school. So pretty neat. But um, so Club Pilates, I mean, tell us, you know, what are you doing currently with with Club Pilates? Like, where are you at in terms of how many locations you have open, how many you're planning to open? Because I think that'll give some good context to start it off. Yeah. So I've uh, been in Club Pilates for about six years. Um, currently have 60, uh, 60 open, uh, open and operating units that we own. Um, at the end of this year, we'll be at 75 is the, the target. So we should be at 75, um, doing that through both new builds and acquiring. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, really, really having some fun time growing with that concept. It's a great business. Uh, you know, it really works in our, you know, we have, have some fanatical customers and uh, great great teams at our studios that, that do a good job. Also, uh, just made an entrance into uh, hand and stone massage and facial, so uh, developing with them as well. So that's a lot lot younger to us. Just been in a couple months, but we have a development agreement with them and and um, working on some acquisitions as well. Very cool. Yeah, I saw that in your your LinkedIn profile. I took a peek at it earlier today and that wasn't something that came up in the conversation you and I had a few months ago. So I was going to, going to ask you about that. Um, so 60 or, or 60 some locations open today to give the audience some context. And, and I'm just going to kind of guess you may have a better, you know, kind of average than, than I would guess, but Looking at Club Pilates, which is a big brand, they've got a lot of owners, a lot of locations open. What would you say is like the average number of locations per owner, like three to four, maybe? Maybe maybe it's a little higher than that. I'm not sure. Yeah, great, great question. Um, I, if I had to say, I would think it's somewhere if you took sort of number of open units by number of franchisees, I, I think it's probably somewhere between two or three. Don't hold me to it, but yeah. It's not a it's not a massive amount. I would say it's a it's a it's a concept suited for multi unit ownership. So yeah. a lot of the franchisees in the system do have multiple units. Um, the most common is is your your three three yeah. unit owners. Um, but there's there's quite a few that just have one and and are you know happy and content with sure. with that. Sure. So definitely want to, you know, talk to you and learn from you about, you know, what you've done to be able to scale to, you know, 60 locations shooting for 75 by the end of the year. Um, I'm really interested to hear, you know, kind of what attracted you to get into a, another brand as well. But, you know, take us back a little bit, you know, before even Club Pilates, how'd you get into franchising in the first place? Because um, if if I understand correctly, Club Pilates is not the first franchise business that you've owned is that correct that's right i, I was in uh, liberty tax shoot got into that 2007 uh opened a single unit from scratch and uh had a successful first year and said hey let's let's uh, try and rinse and repeat and opened a second one and then a third one and you know each year and uh and ended up growing to be uh you know one of their top franchisees as well um and then that's what sort of spawned into uh, to Club Pilates. I felt like I cut my teeth with Liberty and sort of had, yeah. had the idea, thought I knew what I was doing to an extent. Said, "All right, let's find a new project and something that uh, that gets me excited and and uh, you know, really really uh, 
feel very blessed and fortunate that that Club Pilates, the path of Club Pilates is a franchise and and my my journey sort of matched and uh and then here we are. Yeah. Liberty Tax is interesting. They've got um at least in my little world, they've got a pretty impressive alumni, you know, of like I know a lot of former Liberty Tax owners that have gone on to do big things in franchising post Liberty Tax. Um yeah. We could we could talk for a while about all the folks that that we both know uh, from that have some liberty blood in them. So yeah, yeah, seems seems like yeah, seems like a lot of people did kind of cut their teeth in in franchising with with Liberty Tax. So not to spend a ton of time here, but how did you get into to Liberty Tax? Because I, I would imagine just kind of looking at the timeline, you were pretty young or, or early in your career when you got into Liberty Tax. So what kind of you know, spawns your interest in franchise ownership in the first place, especially earlier in your career than a lot of people. Yeah, 20, I'm thinking 27 is yeah. the age I was. And and it was a case where I realized, you know, you're in your twenties, you think you're, you know, you think you know it all. Um, you know, both my parents were, were teachers. My dad was a coach and teacher. My mom was a teacher. And so I tried that after I finished playing tried that for a year, realized that, you know, that didn't make a lot of money. So I was like, oh, let me, let me try, uh, let me try something in sales and, and make a little cash and um, ended up doing well with that, but realized pretty quickly, I didn't like having a boss and I just wanted to be responsible for my own journey. And I you know, had the itch to start my own business and figured, you know, why not when I'm young, take that, take that risk, take that leap. And uh, so that was the beginning of the idea. You know, you obviously do a lot of research, talk to people, try and try and figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, the simple way, if I recall, it's it's like you you look on the internet, low cost, you know, franchises to start, and yeah. you go to McDonald's, and then you realize, dang, I I don't have a million dollars to nope. start a McDonald's. Not so, yet. and then you look at the other ones that that are you know that come to mind, and you're like. Well, man, they're all sold out, and though so, then you start saying, okay, low cost, um, low cost franchises, and that's that's where I I uh, sort of settled um, for that first one. It came down to Liberty Tax um, uh, and Snap Fitness were the two that okay. sort of came down. To, uh, you know, low cost, and and Liberty resonated with me because it was it was something that was lower cost to to open. It made a lot of sense as far as it's a proven business. I validated it really well mm-hmm. with uh, existing franchise owners. There was opportunity for growth at the time. There weren't any in my my area in the triad of North Carolina. And so I saw an opportunity to really just execute a proven play. Like, hey, I'm going to place a bet on myself. Yeah. Everything else being equal. I, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that are doing well with this. I think I can be in the top 50% of these people. That's sort of the way I thought. Yeah. And uh, yeah, took that leap and um, had a mini panic attack the the week before I opened my first year. Um, I stood on the road and looked back after the sign just got installed on the building. And I said, this is crazy. Like what happens if it doesn't work? Like I, I put, you know, max out credit cards, put borrowed money, put, put all my cash in. And I, that was the first time I actually thought, what if this doesn't work? So I remember that being a sort of an interesting, interesting moment. 
but but it helped you it said okay well you got to make it happen it fuels you yeah it fuels you i call it i call it the oh shit moment um you know, and, and most people have a couple of them at least, you know, as they're going on their own journey to, to starting a business. And, um, you know, that's normal. And and the way I've come to look at it is, you know, if, if you're on the cusp of doing something and you don't have, you know, some of those nerves at play, then, you know, it's it's probably it's probably not big enough. Right. It's not taking you out of your comfort zone enough right because that's just a sign that that you're growing um but i like the way that you described the assessment right like you know liberty tax was a proven model at the time you know you mentioned validating being able to speak to other franchise owners and you know kind of looking at the the landscape right and saying all right there's plenty of people being successful i'm sure you talked to some folks that weren't as successful as others right that's always the case in any franchise system but then you bet on yourself, right? You said, all right, I see that the system can work if you work it. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that I can operate as well, if not better than at least the the top 50%. And, you know, I think that's a great way for someone younger to get started. You know, my wife and I, um, my wife's a few years younger than I am. I think she was 26 when we got into our first franchise and I was, you know, 29 or maybe just turned 30 and it was low cost, you know, didn't require huge amounts of capital. We didn't have it at the time, Um, you know, kind of a low overhead business. And uh, I mean, we still have that franchise today and it's, it's fantastic business for us. Um, So, and, and then you use that experience to, you know, really kind of level up into, you know, a business that probably does require, you know, more upfront capital. Um, And, and then you've come a long way since I think you said, six years that you've been in, in club Pilates. So, and, and that's something I remind people of all the time, because I coach people, you know, that are are working through this process of investigating franchises and getting into it. I remind people that, you know, look, the first franchise you get into doesn't have to be the only franchise that you own or, or the last franchise that you own. And there's nothing wrong with, you know, using one business as kind of a, uh, a launching pad, you know, to get some experience, get some more resources to go and do something that's, you know, maybe more in line with, with what your long-term goals are. Yeah. Think about it. Most things in life, you don't start at the top, so to speak, right? You don't start off. That is one funny thing, you know, coming out of college basketball, I had a couple, but I went over to to Europe and played a couple seasons. I had a couple buddies that went into coaching right away. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll, when I come back, I'll try and coach at college. Um, and they said, man, this, this isn't the most fun. You know, we got to do film and we're doing a bunch of errands and we're not really coaching. We're, you know, sending letters and doing secretary type work. And I said, well, I don't want to do that. I just want to be a head coach. Right. Yeah, I want to go straight <laughs> to the top. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the same thing in franchise. I get calls from folks and they're like, hey, I want to get into franchise. And, you know, how do I do a really big deal with a big franchise or like with no experience, you know, it's tempting. We all, we all want to have everything all at once at the beginning. But I think the most important thing is, is start that process of learning and getting, getting those sort of reps at making decisions and, and getting that sort of feedback loop of, all right, I'm in a business. Here's my management style. Here's how I'm, overcoming adversity. Here's how I'm making decisions. Here's how I'm, you know, being successful. And then, you know, 
ultimately you got to make money and then turn that money into more money, right? Through yeah. through whatever channel you want. Yeah, especially if you're if you're asking, you know, a franchisor to to put trust in you to, you know, open a lot of locations or units for them because I think one thing, you know, some people don't realize is that the really good franchisors out there, they're not desperate, right? They're not like hoping and praying that you're willing to grace them with your presence as a franchisee and and write them a check for for the franchise fees, you know, the really good brands get to be selective about, you know, who they approve to, to actually become a franchisee. And, you know, the smart brands, I see younger brands make this mistake sometimes where they'll sell one person a lot more than they probably should when, you know, that one person hasn't really proven that they're going to be a good operator. And, and then they end up with, you know, like a, an entire market that's not generating nearly what it, could if they had, you know, maybe three operators in that market instead of just one. But, you know, for for someone like you to get to the level that you're at with Club Pilates, which, you know, I would argue is one of the more sophisticated franchise organizations out there, you know, being part of Exponential Fitness, like they're not going to let anyone own and operate 60 locations with, you know, the rights to open, you know, probably double that you know, over the the coming years, you have to prove yourself. So walk us through a little bit of like how you got started with Club Pilates, because, you know, I think I know the answer to this, but, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. You didn't come in and, and you know, purchase the rights to do, you know, nearly the number of units that you're at today. So what did that look like in the very beginning when you first got involved? Yeah, it was... Yeah, it's looking at a bunch of concepts, trying to find, all right, what's my next project? What 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 do I want to do? What's the what are the opportunities out there? And you know, there's always a little bit of chance or luck, which what what you want to call it. But had a really good friend friend from the Liberty System uh, that was in California, and he he was in the same boat, sort of looking for a concept, and he called me up and said. Uh, Hey, there's there's something just starting to franchise out here in California. I, it makes a lot of sense for me. I really think I'm gonna, you know, uh, take the leap into it. I think you should check it out. Also, so I flew out to California, did the uh, Discovery Day, and took my first Pilates class. It really resonated with me. Made a lot of sense. Um, my one sort of hesitancy was it was still a young brand at the time. Yeah. Uh, there were not that many, not that many units. I think at the time I started validating, it was, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking 30 to 50 open units, okay. so not that many. Um, and so I was like, all right, here's the biggest thing. Can it, it makes sense to me, but can it work outside of LA? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Southern California. And so I started calling every, every franchisee that outside of LA, even if they just opened a month ago. Smart. Um, and, you know, it, it resonated me when I talked to the franchise owner in Carmel, Indiana and East Memphis. Yeah. And um, I was like, OK, if, if, if they can do all right here and they have good things to say, their numbers are proven out over over the time they've been in the system. Um, you know, this will work in Raleigh, North Carolina, which, you know, it's still growing. But, uh, you know, if you rewind six, six years ago, it was it was a booming market as well. Oh, so, yeah. So uh, got in, um, developed the Raleigh-Durham market in a partnership. Um, 
And the idea behind that is I had Liberty, but I wanted to uh, sort of minimize some risk since it was a new concept. And, um, you know, it's a good, uh, really good decision at the time to do that. Had really good success with our first studio. Uh, the first year, signed a lease, opened a second one within that first year. And, uh, you know, as we grew, the whole system continued to grow. And it's sort of, you know, there's an element where you like to think that you're pretty awesome, but you you also got to recognize, like, we caught a little bit of a wave and a, a nice trend in boutique fitness. Sure. Um, and, you know, you can't take away the fact it's it's just a really solid business. The unit economics are real solid the product that you that our teachers provide and our our managers and sales staffs provide is is uh is really top notch so um you know had success with that started started saying okay you know we have have the path to six uh in the raleigh market six units now i see an opportunity to continue growing let's uh let's do something pretty cool so decided to uh to go on my own and, and try and acquire and uh, develop outside of the Raleigh market. And um, really, uh, really started with an acquisition in the Dallas, Texas market. There was an opportunity to acquire an exiting franchisee. You have one open, but had a really large, you know, development area to, to continue to build stores and, uh, you know, made a deal there and it worked out. And that proved to me, that I can I can manage multiple markets in multiple states and uh, sort of hone that sort of management style and, and our processes for how we're going to do that. Yeah, and, uh, really just said okay, this is pretty cool and and so you take that and then come up with the idea that that now I'm executing on is uh, well finishing executing on. We're, we'll get into the other phase, but really it's like okay, let's let's identify markets that are direct flights for me. Uh, where I can create a path for five or more units okay. um, in the market and uh, through acquisition or new builds mm-hmm. and, uh, and go after it and make it happen, right? So we've executed on that. So now we're at 60. The next phase is really just to become a multi-brand, multi-unit um, you know, franchise platform in health, beauty, wellness, fitness. So, uh, so that's where I we're at. It. There's, there's so much I want to unpack there. So so when you first got into Club Pilates, then it sounds like you still had your Liberty Tax business. Do you still have that today or have you exited? Liberty? I still do very passively. So I'm not yeah. I'm not involved in any day to day. I would even say any quarter to quarter. So it's just uh, it's just a um, sort of a passive uh, stream for me. There's really good um, tax treatment that I have with that S Corp. So yeah, flow. I have a, a great team of folks that run those run those uh, stores for me. That's amazing. We could do a whole nother podcast just on how you've gotten that business to that point where you know you can be as as far removed from it as as it sounds like you are. But so you got started in Raleigh, saw success. You know, saw some trends with you know just how Club Pilates was growing you know, boutique fitness as, as a whole, you know, was really coming onto the scene and in a big way around this time. And, and you went into the Dallas market. What, what is it? Cause I, I get into a lot of these conversations with folks that are evaluating different franchises, right? There's so many different models out there, like the types of brands we own right now are 
you know, service businesses, you know, home improvement, home services. And and we've really learned through our personal experience, like, you know, these are not the types of businesses where it makes sense to get spread out too far from, you know, kind of your home base, right? So like for us, you know, we're, we're stacking brands and focusing on a local market where we can kind of dominate, right? Love it. Love Something it. like Club Pilates, though, it lends itself a little more to, you mentioned this earlier, you know, multi-unit ownership, but, you know, it is the type of business where if, if you're able to, you know, operate and, and execute at a high level, I mean, you've got these things all over the place now. So what what is, in your experience, what is it about that type of business model that that maybe makes it more suitable than other businesses for that type of expansion? You know, it's, I mean, boy, this is a complex question. I mean, it does the way, well, it does lend itself to that. I wouldn't say it's, it, there's always challenges to, to geography. And it's not uh, for everyone, right? It's not that anyone can totally pick not. up and, yeah. and do that, I mean, it's, right? It's, it's uh, yeah, it, it's not, um, not maybe the, the first thing I would do in franchising is, operate in multiple geographies. But so the way the way I've set sort of my structure up and in the company up is, and I believe in this just just conceptually is decentralized decision making. So if it were all about me and my decisions and top down, top down, it might in Club Pilates, it might be tough to to be in multiple geographies. Uh, we really believe in like, let's make as many decisions um, as possible, as close to the customer as possible. Mm. And, and with the simple sort of business operations of a club Pilates and in franchising and in, in the serve, in the retail industry, you know, more specifically, it just become it sort of fits with that yeah. and allows you to to really lean on your unit level managers and your regional uh, staff. So really, that's that's the way. If, if I could set a picture, we we really uh, empower our unit level managers, regional staff to run that that region, and then we build that sort of we call it a support team. Most people would identify as a corporate team, but yeah. we call it a support team and that's your your back office your finance your people function your ops support all that um you know that is the engine that that supports and provides resources for those decision makers at the unit level okay uh, and that that seems to to work with club pilates and uh have no reason why it would would not work with other similar brands like what we're getting into well i think i think a lot of it too you know and, and to reiterate right like not the the majority of club Pilates owners are not scaling the way that you are right so just because the the business model may you know be somewhat conducive to that type of approach so much of it still comes down to you know the franchise owner and their ability to you know build out the type of organization that's needed to to operate in this way um but i would imagine too like the the brand itself plays a big role in whether this is possible or not, right? Good branding, you know, good marketing and advertising to drive, you know, business to the locations, you know, from everything I hear with, with club Pilates and exponential fitness, the back end supports pretty tight, you know, so for you as an owner, 
you know, you can stay on top of everything happening across all of your locations in these different parts of the country, because there's, there's a good platform that's been built to, to help you do that. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, as much as us franchisees like to think it's all about us, I mean, you know, we, we, we're a piece of it. So it's a, like I've said, it's a, it's a really solid business model, solid unit economics, solid uh, product that we put out. Um, you know, I mean, in all things in business, right. It, it, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't sort of my phrase, but you got the people product and processes and that mm-hmm. that's what really forms a good solid business. And, uh, all those ingredients exist in club Pilates. They exist in a lot of different concepts, but yeah, they, they do, but they also are not done well in a lot of concepts too. So I brought that up, certainly not to take any credit away from what you and your team have done, but I've just seen a lot of franchise brands where that oh. supports not tight enough and that's going to be much. Oh yeah. More there's, difficult. A, there's, a, there's a lot of franchise concepts out there and there's a, there's some really good ones and there's some really bad ones like anything uh, in life. Yep. Absolutely. If you're listening to this podcast, then there's a good chance that you're looking to create more freedom in your own life. There's also a good chance that you realize that owning your own business can be a great way to take more control of your livelihood and create more of that freedom that we're all looking for. Also, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you realize that I specialize in franchise ownership. In addition to owning franchise businesses myself, I have a franchise consulting firm, Path to Freedom, where I help people navigate what is typically an overwhelming process of understanding franchising, identifying specific franchise companies that could be a fit, and then conducting the due diligence in a thorough and efficient manner with those franchise brands. My whole purpose here is to leverage my experience working for franchisors, owning franchises myself, and how we've been able to use that to create more freedom in our lives and help you determine if that could be a path that makes sense for you as well. So if any of this sounds interesting, if you've considered business ownership in the past, whether you've explored franchising specifically or not, I'd love to connect with you. I'd love to learn more about you and what it is that you're working towards in your life and determine if I may be in a position to help. A great starting point is the link below in the show notes, which will take you to a short form to fill out, and you'll receive a free copy of an ebook that I've put together, The Seven Steps to Freedom Through Franchise Ownership. That'll also get us connected, and I'd love to set up an introductory call where I can explain a little bit more about the process that I use to help people determine if franchise ownership could be a great way to start charting their own path to freedom. So click the link below in the show notes, receive the ebook, and let's get connected. I'd love to hear from you. Do do you mind talking a little bit about, you know, kind of the way in which you've been able to scale so rapidly? Because I've, I've heard you on a panel, um, with Eric Van Horn, one of your your uh, you know Liberty alumni, um, yeah. he he and I are good buddies, and and he's kind of been a mentor of mine. I've learned so much from Eric over the years, but I heard him talking to you and another Club Pilates owner who you know also has quite a few units. But you know he was kind of asking you guys about the different approaches that you've each taken to 
you know, scaling your businesses. So do you mind sharing a little bit about kind of the the path that you took and, you know, because this takes a lot of capital, right? To to get 60 locations open, whether you're acquiring existing locations or, you know, building them from the ground up, it's pretty capital intensive, especially at that level. So how did you navigate that piece of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, to grow any business, you really need, you need people and money if yeah. you think about it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've been fortunate with, with both, um, really proud of what we've done. So rewind back to pre COVID, I go to Dallas, I fund that with personal cash. Um, and you know, it makes a lot of sense. It's like, all right, let's self fund. And, you know, I'm creating, you know, relationships in the club Pilates ecosystem with lenders, mm-hmm. uh, to finance through debt. Um, and so I have this whole plan to, to grow with, with some debt financing and sort of self-funding that stopped really quick with COVID. And so once COVID hits, then it's like, Oh no, all right, where are we going to get the funds? There's a sort of a hesitancy for banks at the time to get into fitness and, and really anything retail. Yep. Uh, So, and it was tough on the acquisition side because, you know, businesses were were closed down so i mean that's not going to be good on the the l that you're trying to fund off of with the bank yep. so so had spent you know a few years trying just personal development going to financing conferences and meeting with family offices private equity you know larger you know lenders on the debt side and uh just really learning what what's the what are the pros and cons what's the way to get in try you know just learn about that whole nother world that exists out there in finance. Yeah. Um, and, and really just created the vision. Like I saw an opportunity coming out of COVID to really acquire some exiting franchisees. I really saw an opportunity to continue to build new, uh, with club Pilates. So, I, you know, set a vision, Hey, we're going to build 60 or open and operate 60 to 75 club Pilates here in the next three to five years. That was, two years ago and you talk to enough people about your vision, you know, some good things might happen. So, uh, was introduced to a private equity group that really resonated with me felt we were, uh, to use a term in private equity felt that we were aligned, mm, uh, yeah. but you know, felt we had some sort of common vision and, uh, they bought into my vision. They bought into sort of what, what I thought was a good path forward. And, you know, came to an agreement uh, for some some initial, uh, you know, equity injection and or capital injection, and uh, really, really took off, and it it matched really well. It's a great example of when bringing in some outside cash at the right time for the right business that's ready for it can have a really good sort of, um, you know. Uh, just really good success story of, of the results that we've gotten over the last two years. So obviously we're not finished yet, but, but really pleased with that decision to bring on some outside cash. Uh, it's, it's allowed me to not throttle opportunity um, because of cash issues. Lenders tend to be a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously you can absolutely, especially we're seeing it with this rising rate market, you can actually absolutely get over levered. Um, and then, you know, at low interest rates and the next thing, you know, your, your variable loans are, are, are massively uh, more expensive to you. So, um, 
so anyway, yeah, that's that's sort of the short story, but really, really excited about the future. And um, it is it is nice to to know that you have uh, you have a, a nice sort of robust, you know, war chest and, and balance sheet to go after uh, future growth with. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, I think it's a great example of where, you know, having some strategic partners that are well capitalized you know, this has allowed you to, I would imagine, grow much faster because, yeah, coming out of COVID and, and the the fitness industry, there, there was a lot of, you know, franchise and non-franchise locations that obviously struggled during COVID. And, you know, they were just looking to, to get out and cut their losses, which creates, you know, massive opportunity for someone like you that's ready to step on the gas and, and keep growing this thing. Um, so where, where were you at in terms of like approximate number of locations when you like inked the partnership with this private equity firm? Do you remember? Yeah. So I had, uh, I had 12 units. Um, I sold my interest in six of them to to also throw into this project as well. So really on the day of close sort of did a simultaneous close with everything, um, you ended up start restarting with six, right? But uh, yeah, at the time, still knew the deal was happening, so I had a pipeline that was developed and ready to act on. Um, but yeah, so if you start, that was last sort of June of twenty one, went down to six, um, and then now we're at sixty. So that's amazing. Yeah. How how big of a learning curve has it been for you? Because you're you're clearly a successful business guy without the private equity partners, you know, but you, you even alluded to this earlier, like, you know, you get into private equity and and venture capital and, you know, people with family offices, like that's a whole nother world, right? How big of a learning curve has it been for you, you know, now operating 60 compared to, you know, six to, to 12 locations, um, and, and, and also just interacting on a regular basis with these, you know, very sophisticated business partners who it sounds like are very supportive, but at the same time, like they've got expectations, I'm sure. Right. So, you know, now you've got deliverables, I, I would imagine. So what, uh, has that been a challenging learning curve? Do you feel like it's come pretty naturally to you? Like, what does that evolution look like? Um, yeah, it's definitely a learning curve. I mean, I still feel a little, I mean, I could give you examples. I feel a little ignorant in certain areas with this, this, uh, new world that I'm in. Absolutely. Uh, but it's like anything you don't know till you, till you know, and you gotta, you gotta push boundaries and, and be curious and, and, you know, identify areas that you're potentially weak or you don't know. And just, surround yourself with folks that do know, um, and learn and then, you know, rinse and repeat. So I would say the biggest, the biggest change really is the idea. And a lot of entrepreneurs do this early on, especially in franchising. It's really easy to get, to get, um, caught in. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, it worked for me and it works for a ton of folks to where you run your business for, for income. Yep. Um, and you run your business for cash flow and, and that works great. But when you're trying to scale to, you know, actual, you know, 
fairly large size or what what I would call a platform, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is something you're creating that's that has has some scale. You really you need to start. You know, the shift is you start running it. Absolutely, you need to monitor your financials and your P and L and and cash flow and all that stuff. But you start running it with an extra piece, and that extra piece is you start thinking of you know platform valuation and entity value and you know what's the what's the long term vision and what's the long term goal of what you need and let's not make decisions on short term cash yeah. uh, let's not make decisions on you know spending some money on building the team uh, to get to sort of build that build that team now that can support your future um, your future company yeah that that makes so much sense it's you know this shift to to a much more long term you know view of it right and to your point you still have to monitor the you know week to week and month to month financials but um you know i could see that i mean where we're at with our businesses it's still you know income and monthly cash flow is kind of top priority but we're learning that you know cuz we have a vision kind of for for you know where we want to take this and you know you've got to start making investments in order for that to ever have a chance of of becoming a reality um yeah. and it, i think it is probably for most entrepreneurs a a difficult uh you know transition to make at times absolutely i mean but there's always any time i think Anytime you try and level up or go to whatever that next level that you create for yourself, there's always unknowns. There's always that learning curve. There's always the the roadblock that you get. And the one thing I'm convinced of is sort of, I don't know what the word is, qualifier, if it's successful people or people that win or whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, the people that win or are successful are the people that over find ways to overcome those challenges and find ways to push through to get to where they want to go versus hitting that roadblock and letting that define them. Um, yeah, I could go back. One of the toughest things I think in franchising period is going from one unit to two units. That's super tough. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because you have to change from being the person that, does everything and and like you said, sort of, uh, you know, is is the company to mm-hmm. now you have to learn how to delegate. You have to learn how to you have to learn how to get results without being the one producing those results. Yeah, that's a really tough thing to do, especially early on, because so you have hard. so much of, you have so much of your money invested. It's hard to give up control. Um, and, and that's an example of something that, you know, that I faced what, 16 years ago, right. When you, when I went from one to two, but that's just an example that every time you try and go to the next level, you have challenges that you have to overcome. And, and those challenges, I mean, the lessons I learned from going from one to two are what define my style and, and how we, uh, how we operate now. So it's pretty that's, cool. That's so good. That's such good advice. And and I I love I really appreciate you opening up and sharing about some of this because I know that, you know, myself included, sometimes, you know, people sitting here listening to this and they hear, you know, David Shuck's got 60 club Pilates and you know, he's getting involved in other brands now. He's building this massive portfolio. 
well, you know, he probably started somewhere or knows something that I don't know. Like that's that's the tendency, right? When we hear someone that's further along than we are, you just you want to kind of assume that, well, you know, he's got something or had some advantage that that I don't have. And, you know, what I love about you sharing your story is you're human like the rest of us and you've been figuring this out as you go. Right. And and, you know, it hasn't been perfect along the way. But you got to be willing to keep pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone uh, if the goal is to to keep leveling up. Absolutely, yeah. And, so, um, still, 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 uh, you know, do things. I mean, I yeah, I don't know that I want to share, but like, still, still, <laughs> myself in certain times, you know, recently, where like, why in the world am I doing this, or why in the world did I make that decision, or how, you know. How, you know, what a rookie mistake that was. So, I mean, but that's life and that's business. You always learn and that's what keeps it fun. I mean, yeah, it would be so boring if, uh, if there wasn't that opportunity for growth, you know? Um, so, so you mentioned, you know, the, the tough part being, you know, going from one to two. And this is a question that I wanted to ask you, you know, with, with your club Pilates business, you know, think back to when you had just the one or two first locations, you know, what are some examples of things that were actually harder at say two locations than, you know, now at 60 locations? Well, there's, there's, there's always pros and cons to, to size, I mean, it, you have, so let's just, we don't have to go two to 60, but just in Liberty two to two to 10, you know, yes, there's potential, you know, challenges with multi-unit ownership, but one of the benefits of multi-unit is you have, you have a critical mass of staff. You can, you can cover gaps. You can, you can um, really have the opportunity to grow from within and, and that builds a good company culture, right? When you when you hire entry level folks and they see opportunity to grow because you're growing, yep. that is something that's awesome. That's a lot tougher to do with just one or just yeah. two. Yeah, um, you have that opportunity. You have an opportunity to. I think the biggest thing when you have multiple units is as as the leader of the company, you have an opportunity. If you do it right, you have the opportunity to step back and start thinking and focusing on tomorrow's plan, problem, solutions versus being today's and yesterday's firefighter. Yeah. And that's, that's probably one of the hardest things. It's so easy to get sucked back into it, but that's a benefit of having a larger um, company is you can, you know, hopefully if you build it right, you have folks to, to focus on those, fires in the day to day and you get to to sort of build that vision for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um that that's the the big thing. But there's shoot, it's it's not it's not um there's a lot of the same challenges that you have with one and two that you have with 60. It's yeah. still people, it's still making decisions, it's still overcoming, you know, challenges and and it's still it's still business. I mean, it's still, all right, here's your options. You still Which got people and customers. Yeah. 
yep, let's, uh, you know, how do we, how do we get the results we want? What's the, what's, what's the current results? How do we sort of react and, 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 uh, change course if we need and, and all that good stuff. So my, my wife and I joke sometimes we're like, man, if, if it weren't for employees and customers, this, you know, business ownership thing would be pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. That's, that's the hardest <laughs> part. Um, so want to just get quickly get your thoughts and then we'll we'll wrap this up i know you're busy and there's a lot of good basketball on right now too so um i know we both want to catch some of that talk to me a little bit about you know when did you start thinking about looking at other brands that interested you well i can so once i got into uh club pilates and started you know really identifying, Hey, there's, there's really good opportunity to grow and expand with this and scale this. Um, I sort of have what, what I call my midlife business crisis where I was like, <laughs> all right, what's, what's the point of all this? What, what's the purpose? What's the, what's the vision all that stuff? So actually I would suggest this to, um, to anybody, you know, make sure you have a written down plan of where you want to go. What, what's the reason for it? What are your, mm-hmm. uh, what are your short-term, long-term goals? What's the five-year plan, three-year plan, one-year plan, right? Um, and so I actually spent a week in Houston with a business coach and um, and mentor and and crafted all this. This was back in 20, 2018, 2019. And okay. that's when I built the vision of, hey, there's an opportunity to, to create a multi-brand, multi-unit uh, franchise platform. Um, you know, it's done all the time in food. So you'll notice there's a lot of, Wendy's franchisees that also own pizza huts that also yep. own uh, whatever other cons taco bells, right. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, three or four or five different concepts it's done in hospitality. There's a lot of hotel chains that have multiple brand, multi-unit, multi-brand operators. Um, it's a new trend now in, in uh, you know, service-based businesses. There's, there's some, there's a few things that make it a little tougher in, in our world, but, uh, that's sort of my vision. Like if it can be done with the the big Wendy's guys and, you know, McDonald's guys, let me, let me, let me take a shot at it. Um, and so that's, that's what we're doing. So you, so you mentioned earlier, um, you know, I, I think kind of your, some of your criteria was, you know, businesses that are in the health, fitness, wellness kind of category. So, uh, hand in stone is the the brand that you're just getting started with. So are you, are you really focused on, you know, brands that will complement each other in some form or fashion where you could cater to the same client base? Are you, are you looking to go into markets where you already have a presence with club Pilates? Is that, is that kind of the strategy at this point? Yeah. So uh, operate in the markets. We currently have, you know, um, existing footprint in, uh, absolutely want to see some, at least now want to look for concepts with uh, similar customer bases. Um, you know, membership based concepts make a lot of sense to me. Uh, you look at on the people side, you, you also try and say, okay, what, what's a concept and what are business operations and how, how can we support them 
easily as a multi-brand versus are they completely different businesses to run? So you have a lot of similar employee types, right? You have your sales desk, you have your unit level managers, and you have your specialists that exist both in Club Pilates and in Hand and Stone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, and then it's just a game like we talked about earlier where you, you validate out and you say, okay, what's the, what's the model or the avatar of the, of the 50% franchise, you know, unit. And what's that look like? Does that provide a path for us to where it makes good business sense to, to take this risk? And, um, you know, you have to make that bet that I, I feel we can be in the top 50%. I think we can, you know, be a lot higher than the top 50%, but that's yeah. the bet to make. And, and you, you go and you make that jump and, uh, really excited to, to, to see us execute on it. Really excited to, to partner with hand and stone. Um, I've heard great things about, about hand and stone, great leadership team. They have a good, good track record. And I think it's a very interesting combination. Um, you know, one thing, and if you don't want to speak to it, I, I get it. I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, I hear exponential talk a lot about, you know, kind of maybe incentivizing some of their owners to stack exponential brands and, you know, with a few exceptions, I guess one of the questions I've always had with that is, you know, do you really want to, you know, potentially cannibalize, you know, some of your existing client base with another, like none of their concepts are, you know, are the same type of fitness, but, you know, some of them definitely do target the same customer avatar. So I, I've always wondered about, and I know they're doing some really cool stuff with, you know, X pass and, and, you know, creating ways for customers to go and experience, you know, multiple of their concepts. But I think taking something like club Pilates that is, you know, more fitness focused and then pairing it with something that's more recovery focused is, is really smart. Yeah, definitely. Definitely on my radar is something that, that might be a smart move into the future. Um, so there, there's, there can absolutely be some benefits to, to your line of thinking. Yeah. 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 Interesting, man. Well, look, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me. Um, I know, I know I've learned a ton just in the little bit of time that we spent together and anyone that listens to this is going to get a ton of value. What's, um, what's one piece of advice that you would leave the audience with, you know, for, for an aspiring entrepreneur that's, you know, inspired by your story, right. But doesn't quite know, you know, how to get started and maybe take that first step. Uh, you know, you've talked a lot today about betting on yourself, um, you know, how to do smart research if we're talking, looking at franchise businesses, but, you know, what's, what's maybe one parting piece of advice that you would give to that aspiring entrepreneur? That's a great question. I there's there's probably several, and and you know what I'm gonna what pops in my head now is is a very important piece of advice. I think it, it's not it might not be the most important, but it's something I see new new folks sort of fail at in my in my opinion. And the quote that comes to mind is um, um, always the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's a cool quote. I didn't make it up. I stole it. But that's something that that really is a stumbling block for new folks. You can focus if you get into a new franchise or a new business, 
if you're focusing on all the stuff about starting your business or all the stuff that does not tie to what your personal strengths are or what your, you know, the fundamentals of that business, like revenue and expenses um, and driving sales and marketing, if you're not focused on that, doesn't matter if you got the perfect insurance rate with your insurance agent, right? Yeah. So, and that's that's easy to it's easy to hear and be like, well, I wouldn't fall into that trap. But trust me, when you start a new business, it is so easy to start focusing and get distracted yep. to things yes. that are not the main thing. And so, just having normal daily, weekly, monthly check ins with yourself to identify, okay, is my time and attention and focus on the main thing most of the time? Um, and, and is it not? And if it's not, how do I, how do I right size that, that sort of pie chart of attention? That's such uh, good advice. Yeah. It's such crazy. It, it, it really is easy to, to identify with new folks. It's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. Shoot, it's an easy trap to fall into now. Uh, yeah. yeah. To, there's, there's a million distractions and, and sometimes we let ourselves get distracted because, you know, the hard work is, is in some cases where, you know, we really should be focusing, but you know, it's, it's easier to, you know, renegotiate your insurance yeah. rate or, I mean, it's like basketball, is. you know, if you're, if you're a kid and playing basketball, it doesn't really matter if you can dribble between your legs or do a cool spin move if you can't hit a shot. So, you know, focus on the main things before you start trying to get cute and, and uh, optimize on all the minor stuff. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, have you ever heard of Jack Daly? He's a, you know, sales guru. He's written a bunch of sales books and, and he does some speaking and stuff. Um, but one of the brands we own, he's been a keynote speaker and done some coaching with, with some of the franchisees over the years. And I've gotten to know him a little bit. And, um, so his, his thing is, cause he gives the exact same advice and he refers to it as HPAs, high payoff activities, right? So if you're a business owner, you need to know damn well, what your HPAs are, and you need to have your business set up so that the vast majority of your time can be spent on those high payoff activities. Everything else, not saying it doesn't need to be done. It just doesn't need to be done by you. Yeah, agree. Agree. Yeah. David, thank you, man. Really appreciate this. Um, you know, where can people learn more about you if uh you know they were were inspired by this i imagine you're on on linkedin is that the best place for for people to find you that sounds right that sounds right <laughs> yeah and i'm sure in the show notes you could put our website there but uh yeah linkedin works well okay we'll do that and um again thanks a lot man best of luck as you continue to yeah. grow your platform and uh, thank you for dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Absolutely. In enjoyed it. This was fun. Great to, great to, to, to talk with you here. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at Path2FRDM.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in.